welcome to ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Let's be friends. Welcome to the ICU podcast. This is episode 49, the real reason I take an antidepressant. Episode 49, that means it's episode 50 next week. Holy cow, it's almost been a year. This is super exciting. I'm gonna have to do something really, really cool next week. The pressure's on, but 50 episodes, guys. Holy cow. Thank you so much for all the loyal listeners and just for all the positive feedback. It keeps me going week to week. To be honest, just you know how it is with little kids at home. Sometimes week to week is all I can manage, <laughs> cranking out one episode a week. I'm always so glad I do. It's so worth it. And, and to hear the stories and the feedback I'm getting, it makes it, it makes it all worth it with this ICU community of listeners. Today, I'm going to share a story that someone sent me about a time that they felt seen. Several years ago, my mother was getting older and having trouble getting around. She had had hip surgery and was using a walker. She still had the desire to attend church and it was extremely difficult to take her and to get my children ready and get everyone to church. So I would usually end up taking her and my husband would bring the kids a bit later. My little girl was little, maybe three or four, and I had gone earlier to church and brought my mom. I was standing with my mom in the hallway, helping to get her steady enough to proceed and get sat down in the chapel. One of my older boys ran in and said that my little girl had thrown up and I needed to hurry home. Here I was standing there torn, not knowing what to do. My mom needed me, but my child needed me too. A young man, a teenage boy, came over and said, I can help you. I wanted to hug him. A teenage boy. Wow. What compassion to help an elderly lady. I ran home and was able to get things settled there. I will be forever grateful to that young man. He saw me and my mom. That young man was your brother, Eric. Okay, so this was cool because this story is from a good friend of mine that I grew up around and it was so neat because she sent me this story and the whole time I was like, oh, this is beautiful. And then the end for her to say that it was actually my older brother, which is just a cool personal thing to have here on the podcast. Some of you might remember, Eric is my brother who participated in our pornography addiction series, episodes 31, 32, and 33, and he's just a phenomenal guy. So I'm not surprised that it was him. Today, I'm sharing an interview with you. I was interviewed on the virtual couch with the popular podcast host, Tony Overbay. I have a deep respect and love for him and the work that he's doing. He talked to us on the episode entitled, When Your Marriage is Hurting. Before we recorded that on mine, the week before I had recorded on his, knowing my background, he wanted me to specifically talk to the idea of shame around medication and how my journey has been with that. And it's something I've never spoke to on here. And he has since received so much positive feedback over this interview and a lot of people that really relate to it. It caused me to think that maybe it would be something that would be helpful to share on my own podcast while I've never thought to share it before. So I'm gonna turn over to Tony's episode. I hope that as you listen, you will be able to feel the deep love and respect I have for my upbringing, for my parents, for my siblings, and know that the pain that I share in this episode has a lot to do with that generation and just that there wasn't a lot of conversation around mental illness. And so that created pain for a lot of people. I hope also that you will know that this is just a piece of the story. This is just my perspective on the story and that every individual 
in my story has a different take and has a different story and a beautiful story that they were a part of as well. Let's go ahead and go over to the interview. So I want to get right to my guest today. Her name is Julie Lee. She is host of the ICU podcast. And uh, here's what I like about this episode. Um, Julie, had uh, she, she had reached out. I think she had wrote a nice review or I became aware of her. Then I reached out to her and thanked her for writing the review and found out that she had a podcast and then looked a little bit more about what she did. She has written a children's book that's really clever. We started going back and forth and then um, asked her to be on my podcast. She's very, very raw, very vulnerable, very open with her story. And she tells it in the first episode of her podcast, which I highly recommend that you you listen to and, and all of her other episodes as well. So I, I really enjoy when I can have someone on here that can really talk about what it's like in the trenches. And Julie Lee's story is amazing. She's this go-getter, super positive person who then found herself in the midst of an anxiety and panic attack that caused her to leave where she lived, leave the career that she was in. And uh, really just, uh, and she talks about her her, str- her struggle, her journey. And so I, I think it's really powerful because she goes over all of those things that uh, maybe we all struggle with. Of Hey, I don't want to take medication. I never saw myself in some sort of like a, a mental health crisis. Um, what does that say about me? I mean, she, she talks about it all. So I really enjoy this interview. So I would love for you to, if you like this one, maybe send it to somebody that, you know, might be struggling with a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of depression. Cause Julie does talk about how, how dark things got and really a lot of different things that went into getting, getting her in a much better place. And this is an interview that is on YouTube. And there is, I'll just tell you right now, there's at one point, and I, I know the way that I record it. I record using this software called Zoom. And Zoom um, cuts the camera to whoever is talking. And at one point, I'm just kind of going on and on. And we're actually talking about a pretty heavy topic, the topic of, of suicide, suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideations. And, uh, and Julie talks about it after, but um, she, was, she was really uh, touched. She was emotional. She was crying, which, I mean, I started, I was starting to choke up. And, uh, and I realized that that whole time I'm kind of monologuing, I'm sitting there looking at her, but the camera, the recording on YouTube is going to just show me. And I felt like, man, I got to jump into therapist mode. But, uh, you know, she, she kind of framed it and it was just a really beautiful moment. And I'm grateful for, uh, for her, her being so open. So I, I hope you enjoy this podcast. You can find more um, about her. Uh, and I guess I should tell a little bit more about her um, off of her website. Uh, Julie Lee is a mom, a speaker, and advocate of looking people in the face. I really enjoy that. And she'll talk more about that. And she encourages others to commit themselves to compassion and connection in order to lead fulfilling, peace-filled lives. And uh, she's going to talk about battling her own internal demons. And now she speaks authentically about the most vital and difficult battles that she's fought inside. Um, she has the, the podcast, I See You. And she also has a children's book called Broccoli Apunzel. So uh, let's get on to my interview with Julie Lee, host of the ICU podcast and author of Broccoli Punzel, a fractured fairy tale, which is available on Amazon. Okay, we are rolling, Julie. All right. Yeah. Hey, now I know that you took your hat off, but that was a very cool hat. The you ICU want it on? Podcast I just app. want to make sure you could see me. No, it's just really cool because I, I mean I need some I need some uh, virtual couch um, swag. Yeah, you do, you do. I can help you out. I can hook you up. I like it. Okay, so my guest today is Julie Lee. She is the host of the ICU podcast, and uh, welcome to the virtual couch. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, I'm excited. I really am. And uh, so I, I kind of want, if you're okay, you're you're a pro. I've listened to episodes of your podcast. <laughs> I highly recommend people just going right in and starting at the beginning, um, and you tell your story. So. 
I, I but well, see there, I just kind of gave it away. I'm going to ask you about your story, but you know, afterward, then they can go fact check your with your episode one, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. totally. But, but so I really want to kind of just jump right into your story, and uh, and then I, you know, at first I really wanted to have you on to talk about your kids' book. I mean, you are a, a, I would say a woman of many hats. See what I did there. <laughs> I- Thank you. I like it. Um, but, but it's like the more I got into your kind of what you've gone through yourself that what maybe even led to the podcast. Why don't we start there? Take us on a journey, Julie. Oh, yeah. Okay. So raised in Utah, I'm number six of, num- of seven kids. And I grew up with a dad who, ha- who was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Mm. Wait, and do, you remember, do you remember that? I mean, was that while you were in school or high school? You- His diagnosis when I, was when I was three years old. Okay. Okay. So I remember the aftermath, um, but I, his specific diagnosis, I don't know that I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So basically home life for us, you know, back then, let's see, that would be mostly the 90s. Mm. These kind of things were just not talked about like they are now, right? Yeah. And medicine wasn't as good, right? Mm-hmm. We've, we've come a long way with that. And so it was a very shameful thing. And it was something that we did not talk to other people about. I don't necessarily remember my parents coaching me not to talk about it, but it was just this very secretive thing. Yeah. Um, So did you not bring people around during high school? Friends wouldn't come over, that sort of thing? No, I would bring them around. It was hard. It was hard, especially in my younger years, mostly. So, so my dad was out of work for about three years straight and that was when I was pretty little. And then he did work um, and he worked at a place where he had every, Thursday off. And so I just kind of knew those days not to be around the house. My dad is a very kind person. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear about bipolar people a lot and you hear about the crazy, crazy mania. And for my dad, it much so swung towards the depression and less mania. Yeah. And so he was just in his room. Most of my childhood that I remember, he was just in his room or I'd, I'd see him cry and have panic attacks. But what I remember was mostly the crazy, deep, dark depression And so when I left my house and went to college, I was, I, and I had a closer relationship with my parents. I had a good relationship with them. Uh, Not super healthy now, you know, now that I know a little bit about boundaries and things, but I cared a lot for them. And when I left college, left for college, I just was like, peace out. I'm done with that. We're done. I, you know, I love my dad, but that is such a hard life. And I am just so ready to have a fresh start and not have that in my life anymore. And had you ever had bouts of depression yourself? No, 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 no. I remember, no, like I am like a bubbly, happy, super, just like student council announcing assemblies kind of person. And in fact, as a little kid, I, I really thought that I could help my dad. Mm -hmm. I remember snuggling with him, going in his bed and snuggling with him, watching scary movies with him. Now, I don't know that I really liked scary movies, but it was something that he and I did together. And so at a very young age, I really, really thought I could always fix my parents' problems and their marriage problems and all of those things. We also had very little money with with how things were. And I always was looking for ways to fix all that. Uh, Still, though, when I left, it was a little bit of a relief. Uh, just to just to know that mental illness wouldn't be in my life anymore. Well, even when I dated my husband, I remember us having a conversation. And I cried to him and I said, listen, we're getting serious here. I got to know right now, do you have any hint of this in your life? Because if you do, we probably got to break this off right now because that's just never, I'm sorry, I can't do it. 
I can't do it. I've I've seen it enough. We've done it. Yep. And I'm, I can't do it anymore. And he, he didn't, uh, lucky for him. Right. Let's say, right. And that's called foreshadowing. I think, I think, uh, right. We see where we're headed here. Okay. And I didn't, I I had no clue where I was headed. It it wasn't even in my nightmares. Like my nightmare was marrying someone that struggled. So then when I was 21, we were living out of state. We were living in Texas and I was in a student teaching experience and I was working with a really, really toxic mentor teacher. Uh, looking back in my boundaries now, I should have spoken up much sooner than I did, but I, I was used to people liking me. My professors yeah. loved me. I worked in elementary school all through college. The kids loved me. But we've just been just a really happy people pleasing type person. And this lady did not like me. And it was a, it was a ghetto school. There were dead dogs in the street, trash everywhere. So it was a pretty depressing environment anyways, but I was handling that. Okay. But the teacher is just complete disdain for me glaring at me while I teach. I really started taking that personally. And I just thought if I worked harder, I could please. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I could, I could do that with anyone. I knew I could. Mm -hmm. And it was about five weeks into it. And these are like 11 hour days five weeks into it that I came home, I had my first panic attack. And I remember, I think it was the day after my husband's birthday because I like held off till after his birthday, I had a complete panic attack and I've never, ever ha- experienced a panic attack before. So what, what do you remember terrifying. about that? So what do you remember about that? I mean, the first time do you remember what the, the symptoms were, do you remember? Oh you know, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I remember laying on the bed and crying and shaking and not being able to stop shaking. Okay. And I remember my husband trying to hug me and say, Hey, everything's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And I was so certain that nothing would ever be okay. Again, I, there was no hope in sight and I could not control it. I could not make it stop. Were you surprised at how fast that came on then? I mean, by did it just I mean, that, that dark of a place. Yeah. Looking back it's pretty obvious to me that that's where I was headed. I mean, I was, I was not sleeping. I was at lunch. I would go into the bathroom stall and cry and shake. So looking back, it's so obvious to me that's where I was headed. But like I said, that wasn't even on my radar for myself because I just was such a happy person. I would always, you know, I said depression won't happen to me. Right. I will choose to not be depressed. Oh, okay. Right? right. So there was that, mm-hmm. I, can, I can think my way through it. Correct. Yep. Absolutely. So, uh, hey, Julie, Julie yeah. I must, uh, I must give you a heads up to, I'm, I'm going a little live, uh, doing a little Instagram live. Right <gasps> Sweet. So, yeah, totally. Hey, so, I mean, but, but I'd like that you're saying that because I think a lot of people, when they haven't had any experiences of, uh, anxiety, panic that that first time it's uh, first of all, it's a, it's a shock, but then it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I can just, I should just be able to, to, to do something about this. Absolutely. So you start to feel helpless. Oh yeah. I was terrified. And, and my husband, he'd always been able to comfort me, but I just remember thinking, dude, this brings me no comfort. Like okay. nothing. What, what did he try? What was he trying to do? Do you remember? He was trying to hug me and say, Hey, it's going to be okay. We're going to be all right. And he was trying to, you know, this is what we're going to do. And if you need to quit, you can. And all of those things, I'd never quit anything really, Yeah. but I, I quit that. And it was really important that I did. And I, I talked to, I called my college liaisons and luckily they knew me before Okay. And so they talked to me on the phone and I'm just uncontrollably crying. And they're like, what happened to you? What mm-hmm. happened to you? This is a completely different person than we knew that, that left for Texas. So did you, did you, and when you say you quit, did you leave that student teaching position immediately? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go back I the next day. Did not. I, I called, I called that late, the lady that night and or maybe it was the next day, but I called in sick. I emailed the teacher and told her I was sick and she wrote back a very, you know, shaming reply or whatever. Right. And she very much so was supportive of, we need to get you out of this situation. Let's bring you back to Utah. 
let's get you in a classroom here. And I was like, okay. And so my husband was doing an internship at the time. And so we had to wait for him to finish his internship. So I was home alone. Mm. And my sister was like, I got this. Downton Abbey just came out. It's the best show. It's just like binge listen to Downton Abbey. And I remember Downton Abbey was too heavy for me because mm-hmm. I was so overwhelmed just by anything hard. Uh-huh. And so someone would die on Downton Abbey and I was, I was just panic attack all day long, just in and out, in and out, in and out. Um, I tried to talk to someone there and we, uh, in our religious area that tried to talk to me through it on the phone. And it looking back, I'm like, Oh, they were just like scratching the surface. They had no idea what was going on underneath. And I, neither did I. So I ended up having to fly home and I just, I mean, me and my husband cried at the airport. I bawled all the way home. And once again, when my mom saw me, she was like, I didn't even recognize you the girl that walked off that plane. I say, you mentioned, I think on your story that uh, you didn't even realize what that plane trip was like. I mean, there were stewardesses kind of handing you what boxes of tissues saying. Oh yeah. Ugly crap. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, I, I couldn't keep it under control and it was, I don't know, it was a three hour, three hour flight. Um, had you, had you thought about looking to, for a counselor in Texas at that point? No, because we were only going to be there about five more weeks. And so it just felt like, let's just get through. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it was obviously, it was getting so out of control. My husband was like, we got to, well, that's all we knew to do. We got to get you home somewhere where you can be with people. So I came home and long story short, you know, I got into some counseling and I I got on some medication. It took a couple different ones and I found one that worked and holy cow, did it help? I all of a sudden had this floor underneath me instead of falling through to a basement where I could start dealing with things. So do you remember, so you had had that experience watching your dad with the bipolar and, and did you have pretty negative thoughts about medications? I mean, was that a, I will not do that or that will be the last. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and they never worked for him. My dad tried so many medications and they didn't work for him and they had gave him terrible side effects. And so, yeah, that, I mean, I've always, I'm a doer. I'm, I can work my way out of things. I'm a hard worker. I'm, I'm pretty, what's the word I'm looking for? Intentional. I'm pretty okay. intentional with my time all the time. And so, uh, yeah, this is unexpected. So sure. what, what got you to the point where you were willing to try a medication? Cause I work with a lot of clients that, you know, they are going to say, Hey, I just don't want you to know up front that I am not, I'm not interested totally. in being medicated. And, and I have to meet the client where they're at, but at time right. knowing that that uh, could be the difference. So my anxiety, so in the beginning I would call it anxiety and then it spiraled into some pretty deep depression. And I guess all I can say is, I, how that sounds prideful. I want to say then it hasn't been bad enough. I don't know how else to say that, but, uh, there's no other options. I mean, it was panic attack constantly. And especially when you've watched your dad live that kind of hell, Mm. um, I, I saw no hope and I had enough people who loved me say to me, this isn't you, this is something's off here. I would have done anything. Sure. I would have done anything. There's a, there's a cliche I always butcher, but something about the pain of the, what is it? The solution is worse than the pain of the problem. I think I, ba- I think I'm oh. backwards, something very clever there that uh, people get to. And then it's okay. I'll try, I'll try whatever it takes. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, and I did that. I, I, so I would get on and off medication throughout the years through my twenties, you know, we'd go and have mm-hmm. a big move and I wouldn't know anyone there. And, and it's like, I kept going to these different counselors and we put a bandaid on it. We'd keep talking about what happened with student teaching. Right. Okay. And I, I, be like, I'm okay with that. I think, I don't know. And it wasn't until I came to Utah after, anyways, we've been at Notre Dame for my husband's grad school. 
came back to Utah and I finally got into a lady that was, that specialized in childhood trauma. Okay. And I love how you said in your story, I mean, that was the, you hadn't connected those dots at all. No. Okay. Oh, people brought up my parents. I mean, therapists would bring up like my family of origin and I would just, I'd be like, they're the best. There's nothing yeah. there. Like I have the best family in the world. Nothing complete denial. Well, I love that you, you say that because as a therapist, when someone says that, I so am weary of saying, you know, whether it's a really, or, you know, are you, are you protecting them? Or I know it's hard to talk about our parents in that way, but I mean, it's gotten to the point where you know, when I went to, when I was first a therapist, I said, well, I, I won't force anyone to deal with their past. And obviously I can't force them, but I was going to be the therapist that never had to go to somebody's past, but man, you know, our past right. is what frames kind of where we're at today. So, so what would, would you remember some of those epiphanies that hit early when you started doing that? Oh yeah. I remember my therapist, maybe it was like our third session. She said to me, she said, is there any way you can, you can talk about your childhood without immediately after saying, but my parents are the best. I love them so much. They're the best. They're the best. There's, they, you don't know how hard their life is. They are the best. Right. And that she just said, I, I believe you. I believe right. you love your parents. Is there any way we can just talk about it and you not follow up with that every single time you say anything? Right. Uh, and that was a clue to me. All of a sudden I was like, ooh. Right. This is a, here's a stretch, Julie, but um, or have you ever been a Wheel of Fortune fan? I've, I've seen it enough yeah. times. So, uh, I they, they would give those letters, I think R, S, T, L, and N. So you couldn't guess them. It was just a given. And I kind of always say that with therapy, I want to say, I always say, okay, here's the given. The given is that I know you love your parents. I know that they, you know, they tried as hard as they could. So that's a oh, given. So, you know, you don't have to kind of go back and convince me, but exactly. Let's just kind of talk about your childhood. Right. 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 Yeah. Because this is about me, right. Not wow. about my parents, it's about me healing. Yeah. And it was ugly bringing out a lot of feelings. And I was, it made me very angry at my parents for a very long time. Feelings of feel, I felt very responsible for them and their choices in their life. Mm. And also my sample pool for what depression and anxiety looked like. I had, I had one sample pool. Yeah, sure. And that was my dad who never got help. I remember a therapist saying to me, I know a lot of people that struggle with depression that are never, that haven't attempted suicide. Mm. And I just was like, what? And my dad, my dad, um, he never uh, completed an attempt. Sure. Made a lot of plans and, and wrote some things and things like that. But um, I was very aware of that at a young age. And so when I hear the, I mean, even the word depression, it's amazing. I can even say it now because yeah. it was so triggering to me. Sure. Because to me, that meant I, I will be a suicidal person and, and I may commit suicide. That's, yeah. That is exactly the path that I saw for that for this, this happy girl that can do anything. And all of a sudden my life was over. I felt like. So, so, so talk about, yeah, I mean, you keep driving, but I mean, I know that you had some points where you felt like, okay, I've got this right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I'd get on medication. Um, after I had my kids and the postpartum situations were over, I, I finally got off and then I ended up reading, I was off medication for about four months and a lot of different things happened. My dad uh, left the faith that I've grown up in my whole life. And he was very, very strong in that faith and became an atheist. And uh, I had two sisters diagnosed with breast cancer. I was off medication. And then I read a memoir of someone's and that someone had recommended to me because their story really feels a lot. It's something I can really relate to with how I grew up. And I read it and it sent me into the hole Wow! in a way I'd never gone into the hole before. And I hit rock bottom. It was the summer of 2017 okay. and it was about four months of 
of constant anxiety attacks and depression. And, um, it was like also to feel like, you know, Hey, I've got a handle on this. And then to go back to that, you know, to go every time it was just, (sighs) I hated myself. I mean, I hated myself. It was, it, I felt like if you're familiar with the Bible, I felt like Mm -hmm. Abraham with Isaac, like, I'm like, God, this is my biggest fear and hatred of a thing, something I would never see again. And you're, I'm struggling with it. Like I, it's incomprehensible to me. Yeah. And so I would just do and do and do and do. I'm not someone that when I get depressed, I lay in bed all day. I'm bawling while I'm doing the dishes. I'm having a panic attack in the shower. And then I'm coming out with a smile to play candy land with my kids. Mm-hmm. And then I take a break to walk outside for a second. Cause I got to cry again. I mean, I will work myself out of this hole. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I'm made of. That's how I felt. And it wasn't until I had a therapist finally say to me, honey, She's like, I, and this was a different therapist. This wasn't the childhood trauma and a fabulous one that I still go to. She's actually been on my podcast, loves mindfulness. She's much like you in that. But she said, I have never seen someone do as much as you're doing and have such little success. Like it's crazy. Mm. As far as like the mental health work or as far as the emotional work or as far as just in life? Just everything. Okay. Everything. Yeah. I'm doing all the right things. I'm applying all the tools, but okay. I'm still in this dark hole. Yeah. And she said, you are, so, and she's like, I am not a pill pusher. I am all about finding the roots of the problem, but you are someone that I think needs medicine and you may need it permanently. Okay. And that was a humbling, relieving moment for me to give that up to God. Mm, okay. You know, yeah, to give that over. Even when you had taken it in the past and you thought, okay, this is temporary. Yeah. Okay. Cause, cause therapists had thrown, I don't think I ever was given an official diagnosis of this, but they talked a lot about PTSD because I'd, I've had flashbacks and nightmares and I'd wake up and I couldn't get out of them and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always thought, well, PTSD, you work through it and then you don't struggle anymore, you know, mm-hmm. but something about having those two little babies, um, and looking at them, yeah. looking at them and, um, I was willing to give up my pride because I mean, the suicide thoughts were constant, constant, just, and that's, that's not me, Yeah. but anybody can get to that place under the right circumstances. And it would, it took an amount of humility for me to, to just realize it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. What matters is these babies and my family and I matter. I'm worth it. You know? Yeah. So, so talk about, I mean, are we to the point now with the, uh, this, the, the scary guy? The scary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, people seeing me. Yes. Mm. So when I was in, I call it the hole a lot on my podcast. When I was in the hole, there was a guy in our neighborhood and in our religious congregation that he super quiet guy. And he stopped by our house randomly. And he said, I just, I felt like I should stop by. And he's, he's like got a shaved head and the goatees is big guy. And the first time we saw him at church, we were like, dude, if I saw him in an alley, I would be so scared. He comes and he sits down next to me on the couch and I'm just bawling. Um, I've just been to the doctors again and we're trying to figure out medications. And my husband, bless his heart, is just like, I don't know what to do with you. I don't know what to do. Like, what can I do for my wife? And he just sat there and he looked at me and he said, things are pretty bad, huh? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you feel like there's no hope right now. I'm like none. And he talked to me about his struggle with depression growing up. Wow. And he said, and he just looked at me in the face and he said, 
I know exactly where you're at. I have been there. I've been to that kind of hell and I know exactly where you're at right now. Like, and look at me right now. There is a way out. Mm. There is a way out. And I mean, I was asking him questions like, is happiness even real? Is okay. it even real? I don't even remember it anymore. And he was like, it is. And he said, this is depression talking and it's okay. And there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. You're going to get out of this. I, I like and that, that there's nothing like that. Okay. The, the, this is depression talking. I like that. Cause I often think of when we're trying to think our way out of a thinking problem. I mean, and so to everyone else around us, it's like, you're, you're not, you're not being rational, but you know, that doesn't matter to you in that moment. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, my husband and I, we would, I think I talked about this in my first episode. We went to the splash pad with our kids and he's like, try going down the slide, try to have fun. And so I went down this kid's slide, freezing cold water. And I felt the cold water on my face and I got up and I was like, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about depression because the cold water got on my face. He's like, go again, go again, go again, do it. We were trying everything. I love that you snort when you laugh. <laughs> I'm so glad that you did online. <laughs> Uh, my composure. Sorry. Here we go. No, this is good. Uh, I, 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 yeah, <laughs> snorting. I, I, I have one of these times. I got to show people how many people send me things with pigs related to pigs all the time. <laughs> so I've got pig corn cob holders, pigs that squeeze, pigs that snort. Okay. Oh, that's the best. I wish I had known that. I would have worn like a pig shirt or something. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so, all right. So then, after that point, big scary guy, kind of, you know, the. All right. Oh no, this is where then doesn't he say to your husband? Look at me like leading you. Is this where we get into the, okay. Yeah. You've done your homework. You're I know, awesome. right? I'm a pro. Right. Yeah. Oh. You're a busy man too. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. So he, he looks at her cause my husband is like, I don't know what to do. What's his heart. He has no mental illness history in his family, which in some ways I think in a lot of ways has made him the best husband for me. He has no baggage about this. Okay. And he said, he said to the scary guy, I don't know what to do. What can I do for her? And he just said, Dude, these next few, you know, these next few weeks while medication kicks in, it's going to be rough. You just got to love her. You just got to text her, you know, during the day and say, hey, I love you. You're the best. Just be so sweet and compassionate with her. You're, you can't fix it. You're not going to fix it. But it's, it's going to happen and she's going to do it. But right now she just needs your love. I didn't like that. That She's going to do it. You know, she's, she, mm-hmm. she's going to get through this. But, yeah. Because when you were hearing him say that, and by the way, does he know that he's the scary guy? Yeah, he does. <clears throat> okay. Does he love yeah. that? Title? Yeah. Yeah. I think he likes it. Yeah. Love he's it. like a super, that's the thing is he's this super tough, like, and he talks like he's like, you walk by him in church and he's like, Hey Julie, like this <laughs> podcast. Like he's so not what you would think of as someone yeah. that would just be so tender and compassionate, but he knows what it's like. He's yeah. He's just a big old teddy bear. Love yeah, it. So when, when he's, when he's laying that out to your husband too, I am curious because did that feel, did you feel, um, did you feel guilty for that? Did you feel, you know, man, I feel bad that, you know, he's telling my husband that, that, uh, this is what you need to do for me. Or, and I don't know if you kind of see where I'm going there. Cause I love that he was able to almost act as that mediator. I love that your husband was saying, what do I do? I mean, that's perfect scenario. And yeah. sometimes I have people that when they are su- suffering from depression, you know, and I'm kind of having a similar thing. Here's what this, here's what she needs right now, or he needs, is that then if they're already kind of in this bad place, they feel like I feel horrible that I, all the attention is on me or I feel, I feel that this is all about me and then that makes me feel worse. Or, you know, did you have those kind of feelings? Well, when he said it, I felt relief because I 
was always looking for a way to fix it. And so yeah. if Rob would say, have you tried this? I'm like, oh no, I haven't tried hard enough. You're right, I'll try that. Once again, well-meaning, both of yeah. us just not used to this. Exactly. It took off the pressure to have someone else say to him. I like that. You know, I've, I've been down this road. That's yeah. not going to work. It took, it for me, it, it was a permission to be like, oh. I like that. You mean I haven't just not done enough? That was huge for me. Okay. It was It was like that. It was like when the lady said, you know, we've tried all these tools, girl, you need medication. And, yeah. and she was someone that I trusted and loved. And we'd worked with together for a long time. I called her one weekend when I was like, maybe I need to be hospitalized. This is crazy. Yeah. You know? Well, I like that. I know yeah. we were talking a little bit off the, before we started recording. I mean, that there is, and, and I love, <clears throat> excuse me. I love, I love positive affirmations. I love positive talk. I love all of that. I mean, I'm a big fan of it. I'm the, I'm the eternal optimist, but, but then that doesn't mean that five minutes from now, I'm not going to be thinking of, you know, uh, I'm a, I, you know, I'm, I'll never keep this up or I'm a fraud or the imposter syndrome kicks in or, you know, and that's where I think then people think the wait, what's wrong with me? I, I know I'm just supposed to be happy. I'm supposed to just choose happy things. And that's mm-hmm. a great place to work from. But, you know, I don't know. How many times did you try to just change your thoughts to happy? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, like eight years worth. Okay. I, I mean, I tried to learn a new instrument. Uh, I you gotta would, tell me what you gotta tell me what it is. Here's my. Uh, I, was, I was trying to learn the guitar, so oh, my okay. husband plays guitar. Like I can pick out a little bit, but I was being vigilant. I was playing songs about Christ on the guitar, crying yeah. as I'm doing it. Right, like oh. YouTube. I was doing so many things to serve in my church. I was. I mean, I've always been a good exerciser, a good eater. I was doing all those things to a T. I, I mean, I cut out caffeine. I tried to cut out sugar. I was doing everything. Wow. Getting enough sleep while trying to. And I was just going, going, going. And I just thought I can prove, like I said, I'm Christian and I can prove to God that I'm worth helping and saving. Look at everything I'm doing yeah. here. Hey, you know? do you mind, Julie, kind of talking about that and uh, about, you know, talking about your faith yeah. and, and Christian belief. I love the part in your story where you kind of talk about that kind of reconciling with God. I mean, are you, you want to talk about that? Absolutely. Cause I hear this in my sessions a lot too. I, I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're talking about, uh, in the car yeah. being mad at God. Yeah. There was a therapy session with my childhood trauma therapist where we had, we talked about some memories I'd had and, and some feelings I had. And at one point she said, are you angry with God? And I said, no. <laughs> Cause to me, I'm like, good Christian. We don't get angry at God. Okay. Like, no. Right. He's like, okay. Well, that's okay, but if you are, he can handle it. That's the line. I kind of thought of, he remember, can right? handle it. Yeah, I remember. I was. Uh, I remember hearing that at a training I was at long ago, and I just to me that was one of those epiphanies. You know. Yeah. yeah he's pretty so powerful. I, he can handle it. You know. I went in that therapist parking lot, and I I sat in my car, and I just, I mean, I think the first words that just came out of my mouth is I was just like, I'm so mad at you. Mm. I'm so mad at you right now, and I just let the tears fall, and I just told God this is where I'm at. And I think you should have done this differently. I think you should have saved me. This is what I think. And it was crazy how I just, I've never felt peace like that. I don't know if in my life, because I felt like he was like, yeah, I know. (laughs) I know. I know you're mad. Thank you for talking to me about it. Thank you for talking to me about how you understand and what your expectations are, because I know you don't get it. And it was crazy. I was like, Oh, it's okay. It's cool that I'm mad at you. Okay. And that's been, that's been great for me. I mean, I talk to God all day long. I'll say things in my head all day long where I'm just like, are you sure this is a good idea? Right. I feel like this is a dumb idea. Yeah. (laughs) And he's fine with it. He can handle it. He can. Yeah. No, I love that. There's, I mean, there's times in sessions where I'm just kind of like, you know, Hey, 
need a little help right here. I'm pretending I know what I'm doing, but I'm kind of not, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. At any point. I mean, that, that I agree. So, so from there, I mean, do you, how are you now? I mean, and is that what led to the podcast? I mean, talk oh, about yeah. that. Yeah. I'm great now. I am so good now. That doesn't mean that I don't have a susceptibility towards right. it. Yeah. But I live the most beautiful life uh, that I love so much. And I never thought that that would include having a susceptibility towards mental illness. Right. Sure. Yeah. But, um, I, yeah, I got on some good medication and I really feel like that summer I learned that it didn't matter anymore and that I was all in and that I wasn't going to keep trying to get on and off medication. Yeah. I realized that, uh, my family was worth it. And yeah. so I got on medication and I'm still in therapy. I, I usually go to my therapist, I don't know, once every other month, you know, mm-hmm. I, it was crazy when I got off once weekly and then to six weeks. And yeah, it wasn't until I'd healed quite a bit from that, that I decided to start my podcast, obviously, just because I think it's really important not to be doing therapy on my podcast. That's for my therapist. Right. Yeah. Um, so I only talk about things that I, I have healed from yeah. and that I feel happy to share with. I feel a lot of drive because I feel like it truly was the compassion and connection of other people that saved my life over and over again. The Can people that really that? saw me. That's okay. That's exactly what I was going to say. Talk about that. I see you because I, you know, I, I, I love at one point, didn't you say uh, your husband didn't want to see, I see you like on the wall or something. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? What is it? What, why did you title your podcast? I see you. I so like I have, so I have a friend, this is how it started. I have a dear friend who went to the same therapist and we actually met that way. She found a non-HIPAA way to get us in contact. She's <laughs> like, you girls need to know each other yeah. uh, through my friend's blog. And she actually made me a bracelet that says, I see you. Okay. And basically what it means is we can text each other and say, Hey, like I just had this trigger happen or I'm having a hard day or, you know, I'm, I'm cleaning out poopy underwear, whatever it is. And the other one can text back and just say, Oh, I see you girl. I see you. And basically I see you to us is just, I'm present with you. Like I'm looking at you in the face. I'm connecting with you. I know what's going on with you. And I started this podcast because I really, really believe in that that we need to be compassionate with each other and we need to be connecting with people. I feel like in our culture, we are, just isolating ourselves like crazy through, um, and, and we do it in the darkness. We do it through coping with pornography. We do it with, um, anxiety, depression. I mean, depression is a demanding mistress. It wants you alone in the dark where no one else can talk to you and challenge your thoughts. Yeah. I can keep you right here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it it can make me believe anything, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I was having suicidal thoughts. That's not me, but it sounded like a pretty good idea at the time. That is why we have, and I just, I see these, I see these suicides in these, in the news and I see depression, anxiety, so rampant. And I just feel like it's not, we got to do something different. Yeah. To me, that includes, we need to be connecting and we need to be having compassion for each other because it's not working. Yeah. So what I love about that is I, you know, when I get someone that is suicidal and that's one of the hardest parts of being a therapist, I feel like. But when you have someone there and then it's like, okay, guess what? All, all rules are, are, you know, everything's off. We, we want you to live. That is our ultimate goal. And so sometimes that's where somebody then starts to then go from there to be more authentic, where they start to feel like, okay, I can, I can learn to be a better parent or, or, or spouse, or I can, you know, I can ask, uh, I can a new job or I can just be myself. And I just, and it's like, man, it just breaks my heart that sometimes people have to get to that point before they feel like they are enough, before they feel like then they can say, all right, I'm worth it, you know? 
And, uh, and, and so, but then it's like, I, I don't, I'm with you. Like, how do we, how do we not have to get to that point for somebody to feel like it's, they are worth change or they are worth, you know, you're making me cry. I know. I feel so bad. I don't know. I start you're talking to snort. No, you know? it's good. Yes. Yeah, snort. No, it's okay. <laughs> no, you're just making me cry because I think that it is so powerful and important that like you said, it's like all hands on deck Yep. because whatever we thought was important before then. And I think for me, that's what I realized that summer is any pride I had over. I don't want to take medication or I don't want to do this, or I don't want to be like this. All of a sudden I was like, this is my forever family I'm dealing yes. with. And they're worth it. And so even, you know, obviously I had to deal with a lot of my own self-hatred because I think that's pretty common to come with depression and Mm -hmm. anxiety when you feel it out of control, they're worth it. And so I'll do anything. I'll do anything because these, these babies, they need a mom. Yeah. Yeah. And you're a good one, right? I mean, I'm a good one. I'm a freaking rock star mom. I am, but I need medicine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like so good. I'm not happy all the time, but I, I'm able to. I have, a, I talk about, it's like a floor. So when I fall down, I can look around and I can look out the windows and I can still see their sun outside. But when yeah. I don't have medication and I fall down, I fall through a trap door into a basement and the trap door closes and there is no hope in sight. There is no way out. And it's the crazy lie of depression is that I feel like I've never been happy. Yeah. It feels like it's never happened, even if I was happy last week. And that's just the lie of depression, right? It is because I know when that when when I'm dealing with somebody with that, and if you try to say, but last week you said, and it's like, but when they're in that low, you know, in my world, it's that low emotional baseline, it's mm-hmm. like, well, I wasn't being honest, you know, or, or yeah. no, I didn't say and it's like, okay. Cause then it's like, but but you said this, or you and it's like at that point, the person, you know, that's where I love it. It's like, okay, that person just wants to be seen. They want to be acknowledged yeah, they just want validated they're validated not not fixed not you know and that oh, that's so hard right I bet yeah. yeah I bet yeah oh but it's huge it's amazing what what just a healing touch like that can do yeah. just have someone see you and say you're not bad I feel like I love people I've always loved people I've been able to communicate with people I've always been good with people and I also have had this huge struggle in my life that has given me really big perspective and I'm really open about it. And so to me, that's where the podcast came in play where I'm like, you know what? I am not the only person out there struggling with anxiety and depression. I'm not the only person that grew up with a bipolar father. I'm not the only person that went through in vitro or whatever circumstances, but I am so cool with talking about it because I know who I am now. I know who I am and I'm not ashamed. And so I really felt God pushing me in that direction to, to start this podcast where we look at all sorts of different perspectives of being seen as someone that's gay, mm. being seen someone with a chronic illness. Uh, this last weekend, I did an interview with a guy that escaped a Scientology cult. Oh, wow. And how compassion and connection saved these people's lives because it's what we all need. We all need to be seen. Yeah, no, I love it. And uh, obviously, from my perspective as a therapist, the more people talk about their stories, I hear about it over and over again. People emailing me about guests who are pretty open or vulnerable. And for every one, you know, that hears it, there's uh, or writes me, there's dozens that are hearing it and it gets spread. And, and it's just people kind of then get to see you and you're, I don't know, you're on a, on the good side of uh, where you maybe didn't ever think you would be. And I love how you're being open about, and you know what, if it, if, uh, if I kind of have some bad times in the future at this point, you know, you're going to make it through. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. Hey, Julie, where do people find you? 
Yeah. So my website is icupodcast.com and my, my podcast ICU is it's on Apple Stitcher. It's on all the major podcasts. I think all the free podcasts. And I also do public speaking as well. So if you're interested in that, you can find that on my website as well. Okay. Perfect. And then and go watch this on YouTube. If you're hearing just the audio of my podcast and you can see Julie's very cool hat. So you, uh, I got to get into the merchandise thing. That's a nice, I like that. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Julie Lee, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the virtual couch. You're so, so I'd love to have you so talk about some of the other things that, yeah. that you've talked about on your, your podcast. Okay. Hang on for a second. I loved being able to do that interview and maybe that gives you a little more insight into the reason why I take an antidepressant. Thanks, Tony, for the opportunity to share more of my story. It's special to me. And thank you for your podcast because I'm an avid listener. I love it. It follows me on many a run. I say run, I should say jog because I'm a very, very slow runner. Nonetheless, you should check out Tony. His website is tonyoverbay.com and you can find the virtual couch on Facebook. Until next time on the ICU podcast, I almost said on the virtual couch. See, that's what a fan I am. I almost said until next time on the virtual couch. This is truly my... <laughs> Next time on the ICU podcast, I will see you. My name is Julie Lee, and I see you. And next week is episode 50. What, what? <laughs>